Hello, and welcome to the World Fellows podcast. My name is Emma Skye, and I'm director of the World Fellows program at Yale. My guest today is Borçak Belli, a journalist from Turkey. Borçak, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Emma. Thanks for having me. So, Borçak, you were born and bred in Turkey, in a minority community. Tell us about that community and what life was like growing up. Okay, so I am originally a Syrian Arab who was born and raised in Turkey, but neither I nor my family did not immigrate. We are like the indigenous people of the area, but as you know, the history of the Middle East after the fall of the Ottoman Empire, we had the so-called sands on the line with one agreement, my province, the place I was born and raised in, was, well, has become part of Turkey. So this is how I've become a minority in Turkey. So it's not that your family moved. No, no, no. It's just the lines on the map moved. Yes. So so there was an agreement that said, I'm from Hatay, which used to be called in Arabic, used to be called Livaskenderun. And that is where my family is from, like my bigger family as well. So uh, it was 1921, there was an agreement that said Hatay should belong to Turkey from the foundation. And 1938, as a consequence of that agreement, we had a somehow a referendum that asked people whether they would like to be with Turkey or Syria. And the history says the results came in favor of Turkey. This is how I am a Turkish citizen. So this has been 100 years now? Uh, yeah, a, a little... Just under 100 but, years? Yeah. And what language does your family speak at home? Arabic. So I grew up I grew up bilingual because my father and my mother they do speak Turkish quite good. <laughs> um but other than them there was like except for the younger generations there were not many people who spoke Turkish. So I grew up bilingual. I grew up speaking Arabic and Turkish. But I had no education. I couldn't have any education in Arabic. So I am kind of illiterate in Arabic. So I can't really read and write until I started living in, in Syria and learning language officially. So I grew up speaking both languages, but very illiterate in one of them. And the other one, well, you know, Turkey. So the other one has to be the official language of education. But we have some exceptions. So I had... Um, a foreign education, foreign language education, which was English. Um, so it is a little complicated in terms of creating your identity growing up in a minority because Turkey decided to take a road of, since its foundation, a road of nation building in one language, one nation, one people, which kind of denied the diversity and the richness of Anatolia, which used to be called Asia Minor. Uh, which we all are the indigenous people of the region, but with the nation-building policy, we were forced to be called Turks and speak Turkish and nothing else. And it has kind of diminished the richness of our history, forced me to have a Turkish name, for example, uh, to have a translated family name, which used to be Maruf in Arabic and Belli in Turkish, which doesn't make any sense, makes people laugh or think in, in other countries, 
they think I am coming from Italy, which belly is, is an Italian word. So it is, you know, you get the idea that it's very complicated for, for identity. And I come from a religious minority as well. So I'm not only ethnically minority, I'm also religiously minority. And I think one of the main things that built me as myself was the first thing that my father said the day I started, the day I started school. He said, you cannot tell to anyone because he feared I would be discriminated against. I would be... You can't tell what? That I am an Arab and that I have... I, I am coming from a religious minority. So he feared that harm could come because there was a lot of nationalism fed by this nation-building idea, ideology of, of, of the founders of Turkey. So, But when you went to school, were there a lot of other kids who were Arab, Alawi, or was the other children at the school, were they Turkish and Sunni? I could know who were coming from where I come from only if I knew them from the neighborhood or from our social gatherings with other groups of my community. Other than that, I wouldn't know they are coming from the same community. But as you know, Turkey's majority is Sunni and and so-called Turkish. So, I mean, so it is it is what it is. So I grew up in in a community feeling minority and that sentence that I couldn't tell anyone made me feel upset and with a baggage. I didn't like being different because as a kid you don't want to be different. I didn't want to be different. I wanted to be like the other kids and and do the same things they do and have no fear of any discrimination or any harm. Didn't happen to me. Uh, but that has been something that made me myself. And, I, and now I'm grown up. I don't fear any of those. <laughs> that I, I am grateful that I was different. It made me very perceptive about people, about identities, about richness of cultures and, and diversity. So when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, I don't say that. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I told you I was a different kid. But say ever since I was a kid, I wanted to do something that would change the world because ever since I was a kid, I felt deep, deep sense of injustice and I was not comfortable with that. So, yeah. So what drew you to become a journalist? I think it's the same sense of injustice. I kept looking for ways of making change, helping things get better. And not only for, I mean, it, 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 is not, it, it has come from selfish reasons. I wanted things to be different with myself from the very beginning. So I wanted the change to a better thing. And I, I wanted progress towards a better future for, for all of us, you know, to become a better country, to become a better region, a more peaceful, more just, where you wouldn't feel that kind of injustice, discrimination. You wouldn't feel that you have a lot of baggage in your history. You wouldn't feel weird when you would meet a Greek or an Armenian somewhere around the world and tell them that you're coming from Turkey and then you would see the cold silence around the table. I didn't want any of those. I wanted us to be 
a diverse society, culturally and ethnically and religiously, like Anatolia should be. So that was my reason to, I thought this was a good way of bringing change, bringing stories of people, different stories, humanitarian stories of people rather than political conflicts or else. So you've covered the war in Syria. And how have you sought to convey the human tragedy of this conflict? Hmm. So Syria is still my biggest wound because Turkey was going through very, very difficult times when I decided to move to Syria. And that decision came when I was in Pamira, one of the greatest lands of, of this, this world. And I was so enchanted with Palmyra and the people and the beauty of, of the history of it. So I said, okay, I, I, and Turkey is, is, was then and is still very troubled. And I wanted some peace for myself and Palmyra represented that peace for me. And I have met amazing people when I was living in Syria, but unfortunately I moved to Syria end of 2010 and already uprisings were in place and I was so happy living in Syria. I moved to Damascus, I found myself a really nice flat in Babtuma, I had amazing friends and I didn't want to believe that those peaceful uprisings could end with this, with what we have, the bloodiest crisis, political conflict, the civil war, the proxies, and this this horrible mess that I don't even see how we are going to get out of and how we're going to heal. But that made me think that there must be other ways of reporting war. There must be something that we can bring in the truth in it, that... We can tell different stories, and that is where I have seen the, the biggest dangers of, of the single narrative of anything. Syria was the representative to me of the dangers of a single story, of, of discriminating the other. But it was also where I have seen human beings to come to represent a lot of evil as well. I, I was really, really disappointed. Then I decided I have to be telling the story of the war in Syria in a way to tell people that this is not the way of, of changing anything. This is not the way that we are going to bring in peace, justice, development, growth, happiness, wellness, friendship. This is not how humans should be. And I decided I wanted to write stories of people who have gone through a lot of trouble, a lot of atrocities have suffered a lot. They had to leave their lands. They have to leave their families. They've witnessed horrible conducts of humans, but they survived. So I wanted to focus on those people and learn from them and, and tell people that this is what we have destroyed, destroyed a lot of things that could bring destruction for our future but there are people who are so resilient that they can even bring good into such horror. This is how I decided that I should be telling the stories of people of Syria 
and, and the stories of refugees who had to flee horrible atrocity and remake themselves very strongly. Now, being a journalist is not easy in the Middle East and it's not easy in Turkey. What are the challenges facing journalists in Turkey? Well, it's very depressing to say, but Turkey has been known as the biggest jailer of journalists around the world for, I think, about five years now. And we have been de-democratizing and the crackdown on the press freedom has been one of the main signals of that de-democratization, falling into authoritarianism. And I think political power's clampdown on, on judiciary has shown itself very, very harshly on the persecution of journalists. Currently, we have three, at least 365 journalists prosecuted in Turkey. And almost 100 journalists are still in prison, some of them pending trial for years now. And there has been a lot of crackdown on media institutions. So unfortunately, in today's world, except for some limit, like funding limited, very small online outlets, we don't have any, any independent media in Turkey. Like for myself, I am one of those blacklisted journalists and... And it's not because I have done horrendous things or I've committed crimes or I've, you know, it, it's not because of me. It's because I just insisted on doing ethical journalism. I didn't want my reportings serving to someone's political power. I didn't want to become a complicit in, in any of the horrors that we have endured in the past decades in Turkey. And that is enough to get you blacklisted. So there will be no media institution who will dare to hire me. And many of the journalists, great journalists of Turkey, I know personally. So we have become outcast. We, we have been incarcerated. We have been accused. We have been denunciated. And now that we kind of know how this functions, the political clampdown on judiciary and, and the power of, of the government right now, we have been working on reversing the situation, rebuilding the, the independent media institutions in Turkey. But it is very easy to destroy things. It's not that easy to reinstate what we have lost and gain the rights and freedoms that we are entitled to once again. When you are forced out of your, your legitimate areas, it's not easy to regain that, that area and restart and rebuilding, rebuild what you are looking for. Unfortunately, this is where we are right now, but I am hoping that we are getting better and we are working on rebuilding the independent media institutions in Turkey and reinstate the freedom of press. I mean, you are a fighter, you are a stubborn person. You're not someone who ever gives up. What is it that you're struggling for? What is the hope that you have for the future of the Middle East? So when I started journalism, I was very young and I thought I was going to change the world, that it was possible by doing real good ethical journalism that you can change the world. Now I'm older and wiser, I hope. The world has changed me, but I know 
the change that I can bring in as doing the journalism I am doing is leaving notes for the future, leaving multiple stories uh, as opposed to the single narrative of the power that you cannot have only one perception of what has happened. The official history does not really tell the real story. So the stories that I would like to leave behind for the people who will be looking for answers of what happened and why it happened and how we can prevent it from happening again, those disasters, those atrocities, that destruction, the very fact that we don't have Palmyra anymore is... I'm hoping that people will come back looking for answers and some of the things that I will leave behind is going to serve for those answers, that we won't be falling back to where we are right now, that we will have a better future. Inshallah. Inshallah. Project, thank you very much. Thanks, Emma, for having me.